Have you ever experienced God's glory? Understand that that God's presence is with us at all times. But there are times in, in Scripture that it is described as a glorious presence. Or for short, just His glory. The word attempts to to describe this this heaviness, the weightiness, the awesome wonder of God's presence, his glory. Have you ever experienced the glory of God? The first time that that we read about this glory of God in Scripture is surrounding the Exodus. God was was leading his nation out of another nation with a cloud, like literally with a cloud. There was this this cloud that would, would lead them by day. When that cloud moved, they would just follow the cloud, and, and they understood that cloud as representative of God's glory. After they were delivered from Pharaoh and Pharaoh's army, This cloud settled on Mount Sinai, the mountain of the Lord, because it settled on Mount Sinai. And and the people described this thick cloud as the evidence of God's presence. It was God's glory. At the base of the mountain, Moses set up a, a tent. And he called it the tent of meeting. And he would go into this tent to meet with God. And when he did, the the, the way the scriptures describe it, the the cloud of God's glory would just kind of settle in and envelop the tent. This abiding, thick, unmatched, overwhelming presence of God settled in. And Moses would talk to God. And when Moses would come out of the tent, the the scriptures say that his face was so radiant, it was as though the, the glory of God was reflecting off of his face so that the people who saw him were were afraid to even look at Moses because they thought we must be seeing God. It's such a it's such a fine reflection of the Lord. I mean, isn't that incredible? He had to put a veil over his face just so that the people wouldn't freak out. The glory of God. In one of those conversations in the tent of meeting, God instructed Moses to have a special box built. We know it as the Ark of the Covenant. Inside this box was to be placed the The covenant law we know as the Ten Commandments. It was kind of an ornate box. But this box, the Ark of the Covenant, was to be kept in the tent of meeting, which became known as the tabernacle. And Moses was instructed to to put a a curtain around this box because of its holiness. 
But it was always to be a symbol for the people that God wanted to tabernacle. He wanted to, to live among his people. The glory of God was not far away. The day the, the ark was actually completed, the, those craftsmen had finished taking all that acacia wood and all the gold and putting it all together and put the poles in place so, so it could be carried and all of that was, was done. It was supposed to now take on its function in the tent of meeting, in the tabernacle. And as they were consecrating it, as the people were consecrating it for sacred use, the glory of God filled the tabernacle. And it was so thick that Moses couldn't enter. Now, can you imagine this? From time to time, as, as the Lord led this nomadic people, this cloud would rise from the tabernacle, and the priest would, would carry the ark on those poles, and they would follow God's glory. Where God's glory went, the priests with the ark followed. And behind them, the nation followed. They followed God's glory. Fast forward 550 years or so, okay? The nation of Israel is still using the ark. It still has the, the Ten Commandments in it. And it's as sacred as it's ever been. It's still kept in a, a sacred tent, but it's not going to be kept there for much longer. A temple has been built. It's the temple of the Lord. It's something that, that, uh, that David wanted to do for God, but, but he didn't get that privileged task. It was Solomon that gets to do this task. So Solomon takes this special assignment so seriously, and, and if there was ever any time where there was no holes barred, uh, letting out all the stops, sparing no expense, it was Solomon's project of building the temple. I want you to hear a little bit from Scripture. This is from 1 Kings chapter 6. Solomon covered the inside of the temple with pure gold, and he extended gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary, which was overlaid with Gold, three times so far. So he overlaid the whole interior with gold. He also overlaid the gold, the altar, overlaid with gold, the altar that belonged to the inner sanctuary. For the inner sanctuary, he made a pair of cherubim out of olive wood, each ten cubits high. He overlaid the cherubim with gold. On the walls all around the temple in both the inner and outer rooms, he carved cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. He also covered the floors of both the inner and outer rooms of the temple with gold. You getting the picture here? I mean, he has, he has a, no expense held back. This is all out extravagance. And then it came time to dedicate the temple that was full of gold, this extravagant building that took six or seven years to build. And at the day of dedication, again, we see Solomon giving extravagantly, but not only Solomon, but the whole nation of Israel. 
there's a lot of words here, but I want you to hear the full story. So here we go, okay? First Kings chapter 8. Then King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes of the chiefs of the Israelite families, to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. They're moving the ark in this dedication. They're moving the ark into the temple. All the Israelites came together to King Solomon at the time of the festival in the month of Ethanim, the seventh month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the priests took up the ark and they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priests and the Levites carried them up and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. The priests then brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. Move on to verse 10. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Verse 62. Then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. There's all these sacrifices that couldn't be counted, you know, couldn't even be recorded. And then he brings out more sacrifices at the dedication of the temple. Solomon offered a sacrifice of fellowship offerings to the Lord, 22,000 cattle. Okay, so that which couldn't be recorded, it's more than that. You getting the picture here? 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. We're talking a barbecue like no one's ever seen before. I mean, for real, right? So the king and all the Israelites dedicated the temple of the Lord. On that same day, the king consecrated the middle part of the courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord, and there he offered burnt offerings, grain offerings, and the fat of the fellowship offerings because the bronze altar that stood before the Lord, listen to this, was too small to hold the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat of the fellowship offerings. So Solomon observed the festival at that time and all Israel with him, a vast assembly, people from Lebo Hamath to the Wadi of Egypt. They celebrated it before the Lord our God for seven days and seven days more, 14 days in all. Wow. You're getting the picture, right? This is an incredible story. These people are crazy about God. They prepared, though. They prepared to experience God in his glory. You know, it's one thing to experience God's glory. It's another to prepare to experience God's glory. 
And these people prepared. And that's really what I want us to to zone in on today. If we're going to really experience the glory of God, we got to prepare to experience the glory of God. How did these people prepare to experience God's presence? First of all, we see this. They gave up their resources. They're sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not even be recorded or counted. There, there might have been someone there that day that said, you know, this is just way too extravagant. All the gold in this temple and, and all that, that is, is being done here, just, just way too, I, you know. If there was that guy present, we don't hear about that guy, do we? I wonder if, if there are times where we try to just keep track of everything that we have done for God. They, they couldn't even count it. They couldn't even record it. Why do we, if, if we try to keep track of what we do for God, what, what we are giving to God, why do we do that? Is it so that we, we believe that we've given enough? Think about that for a minute. Can you ever give enough to God? I mean, you understand what I'm saying there. You've heard it said this way, you can't outgive God. How will you know when you've given God enough? I mean, you give, you give everything that you are to God. That was just the offerings that couldn't be counted for the, for the Ark of the, the, the Covenant being moved. And, and now we have the, the offerings afterwards for the dedication of the temple and in and the altar was too small. He had to build more altars because the, the altar was too small. Now that's, that interests me. We've heard and we can conceptualize of a sacrifice that is too small. Right? You understand that. They're not given very much. It's, just, it's not really a sacrifice. It's just a small sacrifice. We can conceptualize that. Can we even conceptualize an altar that is too small? For the sacrifice. Imagine that. What if our lives were, were that way where, where we said, the altar will be too small for my sacrifice? What would it look like to extravagantly sacrifice for God? This was a way that they prepared for the manifest presence of God and His extravagant grace. They wanted to see His glory. Secondly, we see that they're preparing for God's glory in this way. They gave up their comfort. We have the evidence of this in verse 2. All of this pomp and circumstance happened at the time of the festival in the month of Ethanim. The seventh month. Doesn't that bless you? <laughs> no. Okay, so let me tell you more about the seventh month and the feast, okay? Because, I mean, we don't live in this. We don't, we, don't, we don't get this. But this is what's going on here. The seventh month, this is like late September, early October, kind of harvest time. And this is, this is what is going on. They had this festival of tabernacles, the festival of tents, that would happen every year in this month. In that festival, people would leave their homes 
and they would go live in a tent for a week. Doesn't that sound exciting? Okay. I've tented before. Have you tented before? It's an experience, right? I wouldn't say that it's an experience of comfort. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's a joyful experience, you know, when I think about it, especially if it starts pouring while you're tenting. These people in, the, in this festival of tabernacles, they leave their homes and come out and, and sleep in tents and live in tents for a week. Can you imagine the crick in your neck that you would have? Anybody else like me, it's harder to sleep in tents the older you get. It's been a few years since I've slept in a tent. I'll be honest with you. There's not a whole lot of comfort in tents. Even if you have that air mattress, because it's going to deflate anyway. They always do. Right? What's the significance of this? Because they're, they're just full of joy. And, and, and understand that they're not coming out here for a week. They come out here for two weeks. Fourteen days in all. Why? See, I think there's a significance here in this. They are leaving their homes. They're being removed from their home to a tent. While God's presence, the symbol of his glory, is being removed from a tent and moving to a house. Isn't this interesting? And the significance there, I think, for me is that, that the people were saying, sure, this is uncomfortable for us, but God, it's really, it's all about you. We want you to be happy. We want you to have convenience. We want you to have comfort. We, it's all about you. It's not about us. We'll take any discomfort. It's about you. They gave up. Their comfort. You know, it's really easy to idolize comfort, isn't it? I mean, don't we worship comfort? It's, if it's not easy, then we're not interested in it. If it's not fun or it's not entertaining or, or bring us warm fuzzies, then, then we don't have any use for it. And I wonder if we apply those cultural conditions to our worship. Could it be that we would be better prepared to experience the glory of God if we would be willing to set our comfort aside? So we're going to turn off the air conditioning right now. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But what if we did? I mean, really. What if, what if our air conditioning went out and we're like, okay, we're not going to have air conditioning this Sunday. How many people would we have show up? You'd all be online. Right? Right? <laughs> Brett would be here and Edelgard would be here. <laughs> we understand this though, right? We idolize our comfort. How have you decided to follow God? I mean, is it, have you decided to follow God if it's easy? 
if it's appealing to you. I can't remember a single time in Scripture when somebody followed God conveniently. I mean, think about it, right? But there are gobs of stories where people are doing difficult things with God, for God, and they got to see amazing things that God did on the other side of their obedience. What would it look like to extravagantly give up your comfort to God? Could it be that if we did, it would prepare us to experience Him in all of His glory? There's a third thing that I see that they have done, and it's this. They gave up their agenda. They gave up their agenda. It took like six or seven years for this temple to to be built. These people are are traveling a great distance from Lebo Hamath and the wadis of Egypt. That's a far way away. I'm not sure where that's, they're journeying a long ways. They're giving up their agenda, and they're camping out for 14 days. That takes time. There are many things that I love about my, my parents. But one of the things that I, I love that they have taught me is that they taught me to never forsake the house of the Lord, but to prioritize it in our agenda. On vacations, and I've mentioned this before, I try to mention this at the the beginning of of the summer most years to encourage you with this. On vacations, we always found a place to worship on the Lord's Day. (laughs) Always. Even if we were tenting and it rained, (laughs) you know. And you feel like, you know, I'm going to get up and I'm going to get ready for church. And before you even get out of the tent, you are sweating out of your dress clothes. You know what I'm talking about? And there was nobody at that place that is, is going to miss us if we're not there. Because they didn't know we were there. We're just guests in town. It's a different tribe, perhaps. Maybe there wasn't a Nazarene church around, so we went somewhere else. We may not even be welcomed at the door of this place or felt like we belonged among these people. And yet, we went to worship God every Lord's Day. Why? Because we were were being taught you... You prioritize God's agenda. You give your time. Your time is really just just given to you by God. You give it back to God. We give a tenth of our resources. We we give a seventh of our, our week. Can we do that? We give a Sabbath, right? That's what we were learning. I'm thankful for that. To worship God when it's convenient is fine. But the real test is what you do when it's inconvenient. Is the Lord's day the Lord's only when it doesn't disrupt your schedule? Ouch. In verse 11, 
The priests could not perform their service because the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And maybe there was one person there that was like, oh, come on, man, we've waited six years for this temple to be built. We've traveled all the way from the wadis of Egypt to be at this place for this time, for this service, for this dedication. And now the priest can't even do it because God shows up, right? No, there wasn't anybody like that. Nobody would like that that day. They gave up their agenda. This was all about what God wanted to do. Are you satisfied with the time that you have given to God? What time have you given to God? Maybe just think about this last week. Have you given more than an hour of the week to God this week? Maybe, maybe you get frustrated when, when this guy standing up front goes a little long. That happens sometimes. You're like, come on. We got things to do. And I do try real hard, okay? I try every week I try real hard. And, and still, maybe it goes long. But how do we respond in those kinds? Of, you know, what, where's, whose agenda do we follow? What would it look like to extravagantly give God our agenda? What would it look like if, if we came to, to, the, to the Lord's day, to the church building, you know, and, and we gathered together as the people of God, and instead of, of thinking, well, I need to be served today, we actually perform a service for God, and if God moves and we can't do a service for him, then, well, that's God's agenda. What if we responded that way? And we began asking the question, have you experienced God's glory? Kind of moved to, well, you know, have you prepared to experience God's glory? Are we prepared to experience God's glory? See, these people are witnesses of God's glory because they had prepared for God's glory. They had held nothing back. Their resources, their comfort, their agenda, none of that mattered. All of that was temporal. They just wanted to extravagantly demonstrate their thanks and their love to the Lord. You're in church today. Good job, all right? I'm glad you're here. But I want to ask, and I need to ask myself this too. I mean, you kind of expect I'm going to show up. But what's our motive? Why are we here? Why are we here? You know, some, for some, I think going to church is, is the most exciting time in, in your week. Because you know, I, I owe my life to God. But for some, some think going to church should make God ecstatic. I showed up. <laughs> for some, church is, is primarily about offering your gifts, your, 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 yourself to God, your worship to Him. You know, it's just secondarily about what you expect to receive from God. But others, 
Church is primarily about what you can get out of it. And if the preacher isn't good or he goes too long or the music wasn't, you know, up to your par, well, it'll probably be a few weeks before we see you. You know, right? I'm not talking to anybody here, okay? Some, Monday comes and you roll out of bed and you're like, God, How's this week going to, you know, what, what are we going to do this week together? And Tuesday, you're out encouraging someone with a call out of, out of the blue. Wednesday, you, you spend an extra 15 minutes just, just pleading with God, come, show your glory among us. Do something new and real in my life. Show me who you are. Thursday, you answer the, the call of God to, to give some of your possessions to someone else that needed it. Just FYI, those possessions that are ours are not really ours. It's God's. God owns everything anyway, right? We just, we just kind of the conduit to help somebody out. Friday, you write the tithe check and you add an offering, you know. That's you. Saturday, you, know, you are ready. You have prepared for Sunday. Let the glory fall. And others show up on Sunday, or you don't show up, right? Again, I'm not talking about you. You're here. You know what I'm talking about, right? Some live as, as a blessing to, to others from God. I just want to bless people. Others are just kind of sitting around waiting, God, when are you going to bless me? Some are expectant of the presence, the glory of God, and will go away blessed. Others, they're really not expecting anything. They really don't even want to be here. And they'll go away very little change, different from when they first came. i got to step back right now, and I have to say, because somebody's probably saying, well, okay, preacher is really laying down the guilt heavy today, okay? That is not, I need you to hear me. I need you to hear me. That is not what this is about. Okay, this is not a guilt trip at all. Because guilt does no good for, for us. Shaming us, is, that's not going to help us. It's not going to help us. Here's, here's why I say these things. This is, this is what the Lord is doing in me, Okay? I know that every relationship we have, we expect to get something out of that relationship. Don't we? We expect to get something out of that relationship. Be honest, right? But we've all come to learn that if we're going to expect to get something out of this relationship, we have to give something to the relationship. I hope we've learned that. If you haven't learned that... <laughs> Here's your sign, right? And when we give to that relationship, what does that look like? Doesn't that look like we give up our resources? We give up our comfort? We give up our agenda? Isn't that what it looks like? 
And if we want to really experience the presence of God and relate with him, doesn't it make sense that we've got to give something to this relationship? We can't just kind of expect him to just, oh, yeah, you've done nothing, but boy, here it comes. It just, I've never seen it work that way. Our God is a gracious God. He lavishes his grace upon us even when we are not deserving it. We just came out of a series on the journey of grace, right? But we also understand that we don't really know him until we really want to know him. We need to prepare for his glory. These people that gathered together from, from everywhere, coming together for the, for the transfer of the the, the, the Ark of the Covenant into the temple and the dedication of the temple and the, the Feast of Tabernacles. They were full of joy when they went home. Look at how, how the story ends in verse 66. On the following day, Solomon sent the people away. I love that, okay? 14 days camping and they're like, no, we don't want to go. He has to send them away. They blessed the king and then went home joyful and glad in heart because they had slept on the hard ground for 14 days. No, for all the good things the Lord had done. For his servant David and his people Israel. Now, I've I've read the Bible a lot. And I know that there are some stories in the Bible where God has done some really pretty incredible things. You know, we mentioned the Exodus, the dividing of the Red Sea. They walked through on dry ground. That's pretty incredible. God did that. The Jericho walls, you know, they circle around. That's what they did. But God brought the walls down. God did that. I mean, story after story after story. David and Goliath, yeah, David swung the sling. But, but God put that stone in the, 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 the Philistine, Philistine's head and he came down and, and Israel was was saved. God did that. What did God do here? I mean, this story really is, isn't it more about what the people did? They gathered the offerings together. They built the temple. They moved the Ark of the Covenant. They celebrated in tents. What did God do? He showed up. That's all God did. Isn't it? He showed up. They weren't deserving of that. They could have done all of this that they did, and they still wouldn't have deserved God to show up. But he showed up. And they said, the glory came. We're unworthy. And they went home joyful and glad and hard for all the good things the Lord had done. I hear this and I say, I don't want my gathering every week to be about, God, what are you going to do for me? Will you just show up? 
that'll be enough. Because when God shows up, he changes lives. Do you know that? He sends us away joyful and glad in heart. If you would just show up. But you know what? We got to show up <laughs> to, to see him show up. And that's not just Sunday morning, right? We got to show up on Monday. We got to show up on Tuesday. We got to show up on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We got to show up. And God will show up. I believe that. This beginning of a, a new church year, I want to. I want to just consider, what could it look like this year if we prepared for the glory 